and welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are here giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And uh, we will give you all of the uh, usual particulars that we put out at the front end of this program later because we're going to dive right into our program and our guest here who has joined us uh, via Zoom uh, to talk to us about a, um, a restorative journey for healthcare workers, but also for the rest of us, I would think so, the healer's path to post-COVID recovery. Kath Dr. Catherine T. Kelly is my guest. And uh, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Absolutely. I'm so glad to be here. And you are right. This affects everybody. So uh, the book might be directed for healthcare providers, but uh, I don't know one soul on this planet who hasn't been affected by this pandemic. Whether they've gotten it or not, uh, they're exactly. affected in some fashion. Uh, you are a licensed psychologist in your own psychotherapy and counseling practice. Uh, Winston-Salem in North Carolina. I don't know why. For some reason, every time I see Salem, I'm going, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> that's north. That's <laughs> north. north. Uh, Salem, that's in Massachusetts there. Exactly. Uh, you, um, uh, you have brought us this particular book and this uh, subject matter. Uh, I'm not even going to say, oh, it's a very timely thing. Of course it is. Uh, but it's, it may be dealing with the issues surrounding this virus that changed our world over two years ago but it i think and correct me if my if i am um uh wrong here it's something that is going to affect us and has actually in the past but will affect us not just for the foreseeable future but for as long as mankind is on the planet and i'm not talking about the the the, the virus covid 19 or the right. coronavirus as it were i'm talking about these different be they uh, biological political religious economic uh, you go down the list Th these are the kinds of things that we need to start realizing Hey, we we need to do a better job of uh, preparation and and discontinue the practice of of crisis management. Right. Yes, and you know, like you said, it, it didn't just start, or it didn't happen to us two and a half years ago. It's it's going to be an ongoing process, and that's actually why I wrote the book. You know, I use evolution a lot in my terminology when I'm working with clients, whether it's a sex therapy client or a coaching client or organization I'm working with. And you know, this pandemic is a, is and will affect mankind's um, evolution for the for the duration. So, you know, you're you absolutely right that this is not something that started and stopped. And this is, you know, my prediction, and this is something I told my book coach, is that even when I launched the book, I said, you know, this is going to be a soft launch because healthcare providers are not going to be really ready to deal with this until later, until they've kind of gotten out of the, the mode of crisis. But really, um, the world doesn't know how it's going to change until it changes, and we are still changing because of this. So this this is kind of a, a very multi-layered evolutionary process. Now, again, not to um, pass judgment on anyone who has the perspective of um, promoting their own individual rights, i.e. constitutional right of 
freedom of speech and assembly and all of those freedoms that we hold near and dear in this particular country. But one of the sad facts that has been that has been borne out because of its intensity in the last two years is and it's 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 sort of an unintended consequence. Uh, it's sort of been unconscious that the general public doesn't give one rip about the health care providers, the the people who have been taking care of the sick and the dying over the last two years. If they did. And I'm not even going to get into the science. Right. <laughs> um, I have been advocating for 40 years that when the influenza hits America, shut down the airlines for two weeks, two weeks. I remember proposing that a, a couple of decades ago. And the, Richard, do you understand what that would do to our economy? And I, I now today will make the same statement. Someone would say the same thing. And I'm going, really? Right. You want to tell me it would de devastate the economy for two weeks? Right. Okay, we've been doing this for two years. Look where we are today. And and again, we can go in. We could go into that path. Right. But it's like we refuse to do, in one sense, the one thing. I, I felt like okay when they shut things down in March 2020. If we would do whatever we need to for three months, just three months, it'd be over for us. All right. Um, <laughs> And we did. We just people. And I understand. I understand. People have. Uh, some people felt that their individual uh, rights were being taken away. And and I'm going. Wait a minute. I live in the same country as you. Right. I'm exercising my individual rights okay. by trying to promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity by wearing a mask, by staying six feet apart, by washing my hands as often as I can, using sanitizer. Whatever I can do to 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 help myself, but the people around me, and I, I do you think that from a psychological standpoint, uh, that's that may be one of the biggest issues because other parts of the world, and I'm not saying that because uh, I'm hearing reports from around the world that in some places are starting to ramp up again with the virus. Yes. Um, but do you think that if if we would have done what was needed for three months, it might have minimized the catastrophe? So complicated question um, and complicated answer. Uh, you know, what's fascinating about this, and I'm going to illustrate this in a couple different ways. Um, one of the physicians I interviewed for the book, he's actually an emergency medicine physician. He, he said he had read a book um, about the pandemic when this started to try to get um, get a feel for what happened in 20, or excuse me, 1918. And so I read it last, I guess it was last August, September. And what's fascinating is a hundred years ago, people were doing the exact same things we're doing today, meaning not masking, um, even though the authorities were asking them to staying away from each other, social distancing, minimizing large events, all of those kinds of things. The exact same things were happening a hundred years ago and people were ignoring the recommendations then. So what that tells me, because I talk about evolution is that you know, we have not evolved all that much yeah. <laughs> over the last hundred years. Now, the other fascinating thing, and, and this is boggling, and, and I tell people this, and, and I'm boggled by it, but the estimate of the population of the world a hundred years ago was that it was about 1.5 billion humans on this planet. 
Now it's 8.6 billion. Mm-hmm. So how in the world do we get 7 billion more humans on this planet in 100 years? And what that tells me also is that educating and trying to um, get people to be altruistic is going to be that much harder because there's that many more souls on this planet, that many more humans on this planet. So so that's that's an interesting part of this whole dynamic that people don't realize is that, you know, people are really not doing that much different than 100 years ago. I also want to illustrate this from a systemic perspective. You know, psychologists have all these different um, systems theories and and, um, theories they work from. But if you think about if there's 8.6 billion people on this planet, the system is 8.6 billion people wide. It's not a family system that could be four to six people. Had a client last week, two weeks ago, that really illustrated this for me. He's a flight attendant. So speaking of travel and shutting travel down, I asked him, okay, so how are you doing in the travel world? And this was my first session with him. And he said to me, you know, what has been so difficult is, and he's been doing it for, I think he said 24 years. He said, it used to be that 300 people would travel the tube. He he calls planes the tube. Mm -hmm. 300 people would travel the tube and everybody would work together because they were going, they were doing something for the same reason. They were traveling, they were enjoying life, they were doing something, you know, together. So they would work together more. And he said, now, he said, it's 300 people on a tube that are about themselves and only care about getting where they want to get. They don't really care about the other people. So yes, could we have um, maybe minimized the impact of the pandemic by shutting down for three months? Absolutely. But that would mean that every country would have to shut down for the exact three months at the exact same time doing the exact same things. Because the only way to, you know, squash out a pandemic is to stop the spread. And and it's the only way, biologically speaking, scientifically speaking, it's the only way. And otherwise, it's going to keep perpetuating, which is exactly what it has done. So easy answer, yes, absolutely. We could have, we could have been back to normal within probably six to nine months had everybody on the planet been doing the same thing. Yeah. That is not the case. We're never going to get, I don't even know, at at current count, I don't know how many countries there are in the world now, but we're never going to get 8.6 billion people to be compliant for altruism anymore. And that is what is so difficult is that it's no longer about taking care of one another. You know, it's, it's, it's a terrible thing. Yeah. Dr. Catherine Kelly is my guest, The Healer's Path to Post-COVID Recovery. This could apply to uh, not just to uh, COVID, but also to any other type of quote-unquote pandemic that you might want to bring up. And you're listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's a pleasure to have Catherine with us here to talk about this because, yes, uh, it does have to do with current uh, modern times and, and current events of the virus, the coronavirus, uh, but it also has to do with one of the things that I have kind of advocated, Catherine. If this planet were to hold a seminar uh, for the rest of the universe, oh, let's just keep it local to our galaxy. <laughs> Forget the solar system, we'll go galactic. It wouldn't be on preparedness. It would be on crisis management because it's not that's it's not that that's what we do best. It's just that that's what we do. It's crisis management. Um, 
And yet, uh, on the station I, I happen to work for, we have a program called uh, Community Alert. Positive preparation, not if, but when disaster strikes. We have, and you probably will be able to help us to pinpoint this really clearly, we have another pandemic that is either here or on the horizon. And it's a mental health pandemic that you, as a mental health professional, are going to have to deal with or get out of business, go out of business. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, I am right there with you. And one of the things I knew early on, especially with writing this book for healthcare providers, and I said this very clearly to, to the book consultant and coach that I work with, is that, you know, number one, healthcare providers aren't going to know what hit them. It's going to take them a while for it all to sink in. And the public is not going to know what hit them. And it's going to take them a while to figure out who am I now? And, you know, depression rates went up, anxiety rates went up, OCD went up, alcoholism, you know, the, the recovery or the relapse rate went up. Um, we have post-traumatic stress happening. We have so many layers right now. And people were already just getting by in many ways. But when you look at the statistics, it's at least a third to half up of what it was. And what I always look at, you know, having done a lot of research and a lot of research training um, is that the statistics that are out there are only the people they can capture. There's a lot of people with mental health issues who are afraid to go for treatment, including healthcare providers. Many of the healthcare providers are afraid to go to treatment because they could lose their license if they put it, if, if it's in a file somewhere that, you know, yes, I'm going for depression, I've been suicidal. And so a lot of people don't seek care, which perpetuates this whole situation. So this is a pandemic. This is not just an epidemic. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it is so pervasive right now. And, and I want to say it's kind of like living like a frog in a pot. We're so used to the stress right now that we don't even pick up on the signs of the people around us who are really struggling beyond what is healthy in a, um, a management or a crisis management situation. Got a question for you regarding yours truly, uh, not not seeking uh, any professional advice here, but I'll give you a scenario and tell and, and then ask you the question. <clears throat> when they locked down the country, this country specifically, um, and it just so happens that I believe it was the 17th of March, which just so happens to have been St. Patrick's Day. Yes. Uh, an anniversary day for uh, my my work anniversary day here at this station ironically um my work schedule uh my transportation my basically my whole life didn't change yeah what you do <laughs> i can yeah, i continued to come in i continued to do the work that i do uh my hours were the same uh, I I um, wore a mask. I I did not wear a mask inside the building because I'm was the only one here. You're it. <laughs> I was it. Okay. Um, though when I would go out and I would go want to get lunch, I'd have to be wearing my mask. Um, I think even outside, uh, and and so on and so forth. And then of course keeping that distance from different people, and. <laughs> finding some place that was open that that you know certainly I could do that going to the grocery store 
my wife was furloughed for eight weeks. All right. So she was at home the whole time for those eight weeks, those first eight weeks. Sure. And um, the question that people are going, okay, Richard, what's the question? Am I okay? I mean, my life pretty much didn't really change. I mean, I was, you know, and, and I'm still feeling pretty good. And, you know, and it's not like, uh, you know, if, if I was walking through a, 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 a field of thistles or something, I'd be all scratched up with, the, you know, the, 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 the scratches from the thorns and what have you. But with this, unless I, I got it, and by the way, there was an, a, an episode about two months ago where I was in a car with a bunch of people, and they found out halfway from Santa Barbara to L.A. via email that one of them had just tested positive for COVID. And I'm thinking, okay, but I feel I've got a very strong immune system. And uh, when I got back to Santa Barbara later that day, um, three days later, giving it an opportunity if it was there to manifest, I bought two testing kits. It was a double negative on the test i did not have it mm -hmm. um i don't know if i have had it over the last two years mm -hmm. and my immune system just took care of it i don't right. know but by this by the same token you know i don't know i, I, I don't know if my head is still on straight <laughs> I, I, some people say you're just as crazy as you've always been richard uh but for someone who has been basically living a fairly normal life what do you think are they less susceptible to this new me mental health pandemic? So I would say, yes, you're less susceptible, you know, and you have to think about, like you said, the, the, the impact of the change that happened to you. And for you, your life didn't change greatly other than the external world and the stressor of the external world could have impacted you in, 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 or if you had loved ones that were being impacted. And this is the challenge is that everybody's circumstances are different. And, you know, in the book, I use uh, my soul health model, which is basically a holistic health model that has, it's, it's depicted as a tree, 10 branches of uh, the human condition that every single soul on this planet is at one point trying to work out. And, you know, every branch on that tree for certain people were impacted deeply, but for other people, either none of the, the branches on the tree or some of them were just, um, you know, maybe skiffed a little bit. So mm -hmm. it's, it is, it's a relative kind of thing. It's a, it's a very, um, you know, it depends on the impact. You know, there are some healthcare workers who actually feel like, you know, I wasn't all that impacted by it. And depending on the department they worked in, depending on, you know, if this was what they were made to do, it kind of revved them up and they jumped in. So mm -hmm. it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's all a relative kind of thing. So there is no way to predict who's gonna be um, impacted the most other than you know, looking at how much change a person had to go through in order to adapt to their lives. And, and that's, that's something I wanna bring up. And I, I actually said this in the book too. You know, I, right before the pandemic, I went to Bhutan and Nepal. That was November of 2019. In December of 2019, I went to the Galapagos Islands. Um, and thank God I did that traveling because obviously for two, two and a half years, I wasn't able to travel. <laughs> um, but people don't realize it, this because all people real, remember of Darwin was survival of the fittest. That was his original theory. But halfway through his career, he changed it to 
instead of survival of the fittest to those who adapt the best. And so the species that adapted the best were the species that proliferated and kept going. So it's the same thing. And I use this over and over again, both in the book, but then also with clients throughout this pandemic is if you adapt well, if you allow yourself to adapt, if you don't resist the changes, you're going to do better. And so the majority of the people who did better or did well in this whole thing adapted. They just said, well, can't do anything about it. I'm going to work with it. I'm going to do what you need to do. Like you, you wore your mask when you needed to. But at the same time, you know, your life did not change dramatically. And so I think it just depends on the person and your, your willingness and, and capability of adapting as well. We're talking with Dr. Katherine Kelly. We're talking about her latest work, The Healer's Path. And I, I like that. Uh, I like that. It's almost uh, uh, along the lines of... Um, Oh, I can't even think of um, um, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, I guess it was, or something, or maybe it was someone else. Oh, I'm thinking like the warrior's path and so forth. Mm-hmm. And the healers, um, I, I, I do applaud people around the country who, like I saw this in New York happening, where at a specific, at, at shift change, people would come out on their balconies or come out with their masks on them and they would just applaud the people who were leaving and the people who were coming in to relieve them. And I thought, okay, that's, that's great that you're showing that level of appreciation. I think that's fantastic. And we want to show appreciation as well because there are, if not thousands uh, of uh, healthcare workers over the last two years who've said, I I can't do it anymore. I'm done. And they've gone on to other things. So um, uh, that's unfortunate, but hopefully they will uh, land on their feet and move forward. As we continue talking here on Tell Me Your Story, I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And Dr. Catherine Kelly is my uh, guest, has her own psychotherapy uh, and counseling uh, um, facility or work that she does with people to try to help them to uh, keep their heads on, let alone try to keep them straight as best as possible. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, because you touched upon it a little bit, uh, what is and how does it work Homer's readjustment scale? So so that you mean the Holmes-Rye readjustment scale? Did I read that wrong? Did I say well, Holmes-Rye? Oh, yes, Holmes-Rye. And so, you know, what's beautiful <laughs> about these is, yeah, well, believe me, I've worked with this thing for decades, so so it's in my brain. You know, what's wonderful about the the um, scales that are in the book is that, you know, it really helps give a quick assessment of, okay, what has changed in my life in the last 24 or in the last 12 months? And there's a, um, there's basically a numerical value that you, you place and then you add up to all of the events that have happened. And the beautiful thing about that is, you know, it really gives you an objective view of, wow, no wonder I feel like this. No wonder my health has declined. No wonder, you know, I've been on you know, high alert this whole time. And so it gives you a little bit of a um, kind of a litmus test. It gives you an idea of where things have been. And the next scale that I use in that book basically is, is basically a self-care assessment to see, okay, but, but what do you do on a regular basis to take care of yourself um, as far as lifestyle? And the beautiful thing about the Holmes Rye scale and then that self-care scale, it helps you realize the importance of taking care of yourself because no matter how much stress you have, 
if you are taking care of yourself, if you have some really good routines and you maintain them during crises like a pandemic, um, or at least alter them as best you can, you can offset any negative impact you have towards your physical health or emotional health as long as you know what you need to do to take care of yourself. And that was one of the challenges is for everybody, but particularly healthcare providers, is that their self-care went out the window because they were asked to work much longer shifts, much longer hours. When they did come back, um, they were wiped out. And, and I say in the book, and I say this to, to clients, is that some, at some point for some people, if you're that tired and stressed, even self-care becomes a burden. So that Holmes-Rieskill really gives you a very good assessment for the things that have happened that have impacted you and really how, what to look for and in future um, for that crisis management, how to, how to keep an eye on it so that you know how to balance your life a little bit later. Well, I, uh, I know in talking with some folks um, who were, stayed at home, especially uh, folks in their, in their um, say, 60 and above, they weren't going anywhere. They were not going to even step out of the house uh, right. because they weren't going to take the chance. They just right. were not. And I understand that, and I can appreciate that. Uh, it's, it's really um, a very interesting situation that, that we find ourselves in where, at kind of what we touched upon at the beginning of the program, uh, we're, there's, there, there have been phrases like, you know, well, we're all in this, we're all alone together, you know. Right. And that is true. That is absolutely true. Um, and yet, at the same time, we're also all connected. And you kind of touched upon that, <clears throat> especially when you were uh, talking earlier about that uh, very special um, tree uh, that uh, you use as one of your models. Mm -hmm. One of the things I wanted to touch on real quick here, uh, just so people have an idea of what we're talking about, the Holmes Rye Life Stress Inventory. It's a social readjustment rating scale. And as, as you said, uh, it t tells you to mark down the point value of each of these life events that has happened to you during the previous year, the last 12 months, and total these total these points up. And at the top of the list, of course, and I'm not going to go through all of them. I don't even know how many there are, but there are a lot of them. Uh, death of a spouse, divorce, marital separation or, or uh, from the mate, um, uh, detention in jail or other institution. Uh, some might consider, and that's number four, that might be considered what we just went through <laughs> over the last two years. Uh, and it just goes on and on and on with um, in-law troubles and uh, outstanding personal achievements and, uh, let's see, beginning or ceasing formal schooling, I'm uh, vacation. Uh, By the way, that's another, that's very interesting. It's number 41, uh, mm -hmm. vacations. I found this interesting, uh, uh, Catherine, that, and I remember uh, going through a program where they were talking about this very thing. Somebody, uh, you, you, you see someone after they've been on vacation, you go, how was it? I heard you went to Disneyland and, you know, how, how was it? And they'll go, oh man, it was so great. It was fantastic. I had a great time. And the person asking the question says, you're a liar. <laughs> right. Because... Because it wasn't all Skittles and beer, uh, you know, uh, there were there were problems along the way. 
Uh, but nonetheless, oh, there are only 43 minor violations of the law. Oh, I hate that. Uh, especially when it's like, darn it, I was really trying to avoid hitting that person, and they moved so many times I didn't have any choice. Um, well, and Richard, let me point something out, sure. and I'm really glad you brought this up. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing that people aren't, I mean, in the beginning of the pandemic, maybe for the first six months, some of this was in the news, so some of the public understands this. But one of the things I learned very quickly, both as a therapist that works both with healthcare workers as well as the general public, relationships were impacted dramatically during the pandemic. The amount of separations and divorces was astronomical compared to what it was. The fighting, the domestic violence, the child abuse, all of that went up. And so there's gonna be residual effects after you know, long after. Um, and so it, it'll be, and now granted, there were also pandemic babies <laughs> that came out of this. Oh yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of, a lot that, I, I heard both sides. I heard couples say, or healthcare providers say that them and their spouses got much closer. And I heard some of them say, well, it broke us. We're, we're divorced now, we're separated. So, you know, there's so many different angles of what, what has happened, you know, many healthcare providers, many public lost family members. So you look at this Holmes Rice scale and you have to recognize that this is, it, this was created, I don't know, like in the 1950s, but this has different meaning now than it did even 10 years ago. Yeah, uh, it certainly is much more relevant. And, um, and of course, uh, number one, which has is the death of a spouse, gives you a score of 100, whereas the whole issue of uh, traffic violations and what have you, that's only uh, 11. So there you go. And then the scale, it's 150 or less, means uh, that it's a, a relatively low amount of life changes and a low susceptibility to stress-induced health breakdown. 150 to 300 has to do with implies that 50% uh, chance of a major health breakdown in the next two years, 300 or more, and we'll use a clinical term, you're wacko. No, uh, 300 or more <laughs> raises the odds to 80, about 80%. According to the Holmes Rye statistical statistical prediction model, uh, so you've got three basic ranges there, and um, you know, and it's, you know, I used to say when it came to my health, my medical health, my biological health, uh, I don't want to know. If I got a problem, I just don't want to know. You know, uh, if it's going to kill me, I definitely don't want to know. Because uh, I'm going to find out anyway when I die, right? So I'm going to enjoy my life while I can, uh, regardless of what's raging through my body, or in this case, raging through my mind. Mm -hmm. um, I went through two medical conditions over the last two years. And what's interesting is they both happened in July. It was crazy. <laughs> 2020, July, late July. Diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Surprise, yeah. surprise. And my doc says, it's going to take you a long, it's a long journey, Richard, long journey. I said, no, it's not. I says, I know how I got here. The pandemic. Because what did we all go to uh, food-wise when we were all locked down? Comfort foods. Yep, carbs. Lots of sugars, lots of carbs. Yep. Mm -hmm. I was done with uh, type 2 diabetes in mid-September of Good. that year, month and a half. Okay, been fine ever since. I haven't had a soda since the 23rd of July, 2020. 
2021, on the other hand, I participated and in the uh, unlikely Olympic sport, because the Olympics were going on at that time, of the gallbladder clean and jerk. Mm. I had to have it removed. Uh, and it's like, what is going on with me in July? So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward now. I'm going, all right, brace yourself. <laughs> What's next? Cyclical uh, pattern. <laughs> I know it's kind of, it's kind of weird. I wanted to ask you as we continue to talk here about, uh, what was the name of that tree again? The soul tree? I call it the soul health model. Soul so yeah, soul health I, model. And it's, again, it's a, it, I love trees, but it's got a, it's basically has 10 branches and each branch is uh, really labeled as something that all of us deal with as part of the human condition. Um, so you've got physical, psychological, social, interpersonal, environmental, financial, uh, intellectual, occupational, um, spiritual, sexual, and recreational. So those, if you think about the human condition, there is nothing else that people deal with. Um, it's all fit into those 10 branches. And the soul part of that is really, it's not a religious term at all. It's basically the essence of who we are. Mm -hmm. So the essence of who we are, that's why I said earlier that, you know, gosh, everybody's going to have a different impact of what this pandemic has done because you know your tree is going to look different than even your wife's tree and so you know it's that whole idea of getting to know yourself and so when it comes to physical kinds of concerns different people manifest physical concerns for different reasons some are stress related some are you know like you said food related some are injury related um but yeah it's um uh, that's why um treating an individual is always an adventure because you never know what that particular person is going to bring in uh, that is really affecting their lives. Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I'm so happy to have with us here on the program today to talk about this, uh, Dr. Catherine Kelly. Uh, she has the book, uh, The Healer's Path to Post-COVID Recovery. Uh, it is a restorative journey for healthcare workers and the rest of us. Absolutely. And, and I, I want to talk about the aspect of our spiritual health, not religious, uh, but as you just very well described it, that essence that makes us who we are, that animates the physical body, the biology and everything. Because uh, when the soul or spirit leaves the body, the body kind of falls over and doesn't do much. Um, I have heard of uh, the aspects of um, uh, physical, mental, emotional illness or dis-ease. Is there such a thing from your perspective as spiritual dis-ease? And again, I know we're not speaking religion here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, again, it's a very relative um, definition because for some people it is speaking religion. Um, and, you know, I'm just going to throw this in there. I have lots of clients I've worked with that have had what I call church hurt or God, you know, God pain, you know, that they've been, um, you know, somehow the church situation has really hurt them. Um, and, and so there is the religious kind of hurt that relates to the spiritual, but to me, you know, it's it, spirituality is 
So religion is created for us and we create our own spirituality. And there are many times in life where, and it makes sense, where we are challenged to understand our belief systems you know, differently according to what's going on. And so our connection with others, our connection with God, source, universe, spirit, whatever word you want to call it, regardless of church, can also be damaged or it could be challenged. And, you know, and also I think personally, and this can go on and go back to ancient history, I also think that when we are disconnected from that inner self, when we are so disconnected from our soul, that essence of who we are, we can experience some spiritual illness or um, discord and dis-ease. So it, to me, there's lots of ways to ex explore the whole spiritual unhealth rather than the spiritual health. You know, one of the one of the most interesting aspects for me of life and living, um, I'm going to put it in this context, that can really revitalize us, recharge us. Uh, and I use this this phrase, this uh, this term, or yeah, well, it is a phrase. Nature is our greatest teacher. Talk to us about that aspect, especially considering the fact that you have this this model where you you're using the tree. Well, and I'm going to go right to trees. You know what's and I use lots of metaphor about trees in this book. You know, nature corrects itself. And, and so nature has this built in something that knows how to correct itself. And, you know, when I think about the trees, and again, I, I live amongst trees, I've got trees all around my house, and I study them, I watch them, I go to the redwood forest in California, and I hike them. Um, what's interesting about trees is that there, there's an inherent ability of, of trees to adapt. And there's also an inherent ability of trees to help one another. And people don't realize that, that there's a system underneath the ground that happens that, that one tree, if it senses that another tree is having difficulties thriving, well, then it sends nutrients or it, it somehow sends water or whatever, it, whatever that tree needs. There, there's a compatibility thing that goes on. And so nature is such a fascinating study, like you said, Richard, because it does correct itself and it, it uses more of its, to me, soul sense, its own understanding about what needs to happen to thrive than what most humans do. And so it, it's, you know, and this pandemic has been a really good, a really good example of this because, uh, and I will say this, one of my favorite memes I read at the beginning of the pandemic, probably the first six months is that you can lead a human to knowledge, but you can't make them think. <laughs> so, <laughs> So it's that whole play on, on the whole horse thing. And, and it's like, well, yeah, we've got all the knowledge out there, you know, right in front of you multiple times a day and you're not using it. And so, you know, what's interesting is nature doesn't have to think. It just knows what to do to save itself or regenerate. Um, and yes, you're going to have fallen trees that can't help themselves. But, you know, there, there's nature is just an amazing thing. And if we, like you said, could step back and go, wow, okay, it knows what it's doing. Why aren't we following um, steps in that direction? But, you know, these overdeveloped brains of ours are um, really oftentimes getting in our way. Yeah, it's interesting, and it raises another subject that we're going to talk about here as we continue talking with Dr. Catherine Kelly on the work that she is doing. Her website, folks, uh, for those of you who uh, are looking to um, 
to find out more about the work that she is doing. Uh, her uh, website just happens to be drkatherinetkelly.com. That's uh, drkatherinetkelly.com. We'll be linked to your website as well, uh, Catherine, uh, so that people can just click on it and go, uh, because you do have a lot of the reference materials that are in the book, uh, like the tree and so forth. And I just looked up the, uh, the Holmes Rye uh, uh, scale. Uh, very interesting Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I may, I may even take a shot at it. I, I'd like to consider myself fairly stable. <laughs> you know, I'd like to. Uh, I'm not sure how, how well I would do on some psychological test, but uh, who knows? Maybe one day I'll take one and we'll, we'll find out. As we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and Dr. Catherine Kelly is my guest, and I wanted to ask you, uh, another um, sort of a personal question, and again, I understand uh, how the answer might go, but I'm curious, who does Catherine Kelly talk to and see to help her to get through? And we're not talking who does Dr. Catherine Kelly, we're talking about the yes. private citizen, the private person, when... Because I'm like, God, you're listening to all of these people's stuff, you know. I think it's a great question. And frankly, I love it when people ask me that. I've had a number of radio hosts ask me that. And, you know, what's interesting is I I do have wonderful support. Um, I have wonderful friends. My best friend, I've known her since I was 14. That woman knows pretty much everything about me. Um, Other friends. And, And frankly, I talk to spirit a lot. I do a lot of my own spiritual work to keep me balanced because for me and I I tell people jokingly and not so jokingly that I wouldn't want to be on this planet without my dogs or without my understanding of spirituality because those are the those entries in nature you know that goes in there but but there's there's an essence about what I put in my life the animals the people the my my continuous um my own, you know, progression and work on spirituality, all of those things feed me. And, and that's really the biggest thing is knowing what an individual needs. And I know for me, I need nature, trees, friends, dogs, spirituality, <laughs> and exercise. I do exercise a fair bit. So, you know, it's, um, and I do, I, you know, I do a lot of my own journaling. I do a lot of, you know, I, I, I mix it up quite a bit. I, you know, I do energy work, I get energy sessions, I get massages, I do everything I need. Of course, I couldn't do that for two years because of the pandemic. But yeah, I, I feel very fortunate. Um, and what's interesting, my uh, the client I had this morning, uh, she's in Australia. <laughs> and the very first question she asked, she said, you know, I, and she's working on her spirituality, which is what I'm coaching her uh, to understand and work with. And she said, you know, I, I, every time I sit down and think about this session today, I kept thinking, I need to ask you how you're doing. <laughs> and I, I laughed and uh, because this is a client, uh, not a therapy client, but a, a soul coaching client. And she said, no, I just got the feeling like I needed to keep asking. And so, you know, it's interesting the network that happens. Um, but again, I, my favorite quote in my book is, and actually it's in all three of my books, is to know your soul is to know true health. And I have spent 52 years getting to know myself and my soul. And I, I, 
I know what I need and what I don't need. And I, I, I actively work on taking care of myself so I can continue the work I do without getting unbalanced. So. Well, that ties right in with one of the uh, elements that we talk about on this program every single program, and that has to do with people participating in what we have called the decade of perfect vision. We encourage people to go within and listen to that still small voice. And um, it'll never steer you wrong. I mean, I've, I've shared examples time and time again on this program where um, early on, I was frustrated and when being challenged and like, will you just leave me alone? I, you know, I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm okay. Uh, to, uh, okay, which way? Okay, which, you know, I mean, I'll be in the truck and I'll, okay, which way do I want to go to get to work this time? Uh, and it seems kind of mundane, seems kind of silly, but not really. Because it's like, okay, now I'm, I'm not giving up my free will, but I am relying more on that inner voice and and sometimes it's not a voice it's just a prompting mm -hmm. uh, yep turn here okay uh or it will leave it up to me whatever you want you know mm -hmm. either way is going to be fine mm -hmm. either way and um and that doesn't bother me you know uh because because you know we still have to make choices in this material world and uh and we're still respond and that's the other thing <laughs> that's the other thing too is even if you follow the prompting you're still responsible for the choice because yeah, you're the yeah. one making the choice right <laughs> your, your your inner voice is not holding a gun to your head okay <laughs> right so it's it's something that that I, we encourage people to Perfect. do on a regular basis on this program and i'm glad that uh that you have found that in in and of yourself curious as to your own personal uh upbringing uh more so philosophically than the spiritual aspects that we've just been talking about uh, how how were you raised so and i will bring in the religious piece um briefly i was raised catholic and i loved the ritual but i never remember i hate to say this i never remember one single sermon <laughs> and what i realized is that i would even as a kid i was i would start to tune out when the sermon started because i would go in and i would go within and i would start meditating i didn't realize i was meditating until years later when people started to tell me what meditation was so you know i was um um the youngest of five children my father had an accident when I was nine years old. Uh, he was disabled at that point. So family system kind of blew apart uh, in many ways. Mom had to go back to work. I mean, it was all these different things that, you know, I look back at my own uh, trajectory and realize how much, you know, again, I look at this from a spiritual perspective, how much my life was laid out to get me to doing exactly what I'm doing right now. Because I didn't realize until actually a radio host asked me uh, after I published my first book, you know, what in your life caused you to create the soul health model? And, you know, in the middle of having this conversation with him, I realized, wow, it probably was the fact that I watched my father's world just disintegrate after his accident that really helped me understand the importance of creating my soul health model. I hadn't put it together for probably 17 years um, until he asked me that question. So, 
you know, I was brought up again, youngest of uh, five children. Um, I I turned to spirituality pretty quickly. In and again, we were we were going to you know a Catholic church, but it was more going within. It was doing my own form of meditation. It was reading a lot about spiritual concepts that you know my siblings and my my peers were really not doing. So it, it, I was just led intuitively to go down this path. And, and I think that's it. Somehow I knew to listen to myself from a young age. Um, had I listened to everybody else, I would have been number one. Um, I would not have been a psychologist because my mother and my oldest sister tried vehemently to talk me out of doing it. <laughs> and it just, it never, you know, I never was no brain. I was doing it. And so, you know, it's the best thing I never listened to. And, you know, it's, it, I think that is the important thing. And I'm trying to instill this in new parents is to help their children tune into that voice to help lead them. Because if you think about ancient cultures, ancient cultures, that's how they were born and bred is to listen to that voice within, listen to spirit, connect with spirit. And look where we are now in not doing that. And that's where that tube of 300 people is disconnected with themselves and disconnected with one another because nobody is connected with themselves and it's you know so it's it's timely that you mentioned that richard the healer's path dr katherine kelly's my guest this is tell me your story i'm richard dugan your host and i want to ask you dr katherine kelly author of the healer's path um about something that i read just the other day it was fascinating when I read it and I had to read it two or three times just to realize that, yeah, I did read that. that that's exactly what it said. And I loved the way it was put because it puts a whole new spin and it ties into what you just said. And the quote was, addiction is the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And when you think of the 12 steps in AA, it talks about a higher power. Right. And going through those different steps and making amends and so on and so on and so on. Yeah. And I, at that, I have to tell you that that blew me away. Mm -hmm. I I had never thought of it that way. Makes perfect sense intellectually, mm -hmm. but it really, it really resonated with me. So think about it this way, and I absolutely agree with with what you just said, and I absolutely agree with the statement. You know, it's if you think about every single challenge of the human condition. So whether it is addiction, whether it's eating disorders, whether it's um, uh, being in a, a abusive relationship or um, self-esteem issues or anything, if you really think about it, the core of it does go back to what what I have, you know, figured out is self-love. Is that you are not connected with yourself. You don't care about yourself enough to take care of you or others, you know, within your system. So, you know, absolutely. And, and I think, again, that is the biggest malady of the human condition right now is that everybody, I should say everybody, many, many, many people on this planet, many souls on this planet are so disconnected from themselves that um, they don't know how to connect in a healthy way. 
you know, I think about social media and, you know, there's some very good things that happen on social media, but I also think there's a lot of narcissism that has been created because look at all of the selfies out there, you know, look at all of the, you know, look at me, look what I'm doing instead of, wow, you know, this is how I connected with someone and that's what, what is important to me. So there's this very interesting disconnection from our souls, that inner self, that inner voice that is obliterating, you know, basically the human condition right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, and when you were talking earlier about uh, the, the disconnect a uh, hundred years ago versus today, and you use the term evolution. And then of course we talked a little about the technology. What that said to me was that our technology in light of the disconnect is irrelevant because it sounds more like it's in our DNA. Now, if we work on connecting, all right, then I'm, I'm hoping that there's the possibility of sort of rewriting the DNA, that information, uh, and potentially then evolving, right? So, you know, what's interesting is social media began to as a form of connection and then it turned dark. <laughs> and, and I think that's it. If you think about, you know, you get too much money, a lot of times you get greedy, you get too famous, then you get arrogant, you get to, you know, you get connecting in with social media. Well, what happens then you become more self-centered. I mean, it's really fascinating because again, it's almost like the connection is connecting outside of you instead of connecting within you. And you know that's really the scope of my practice, uh, psychotherapy practice. And you know it's interesting now. And uh, you know I'm also helping organizations, healthcare organizations, connect with the soul of the organization, meaning helping them define what makes you different as an organization. So it's really the same thing about going within and, and redefining and reconnecting with that so you know how to live your life. Because when you don't know who you are, you can't really live your life well. Doctor, I'm curious about the aspect of oh getting back to and and I, i'm almost tired of this phrase as well as the other phrase uh, getting back to normal or connecting with what they are referring to as the new normal I, I, I understand that we as a species can't handle change. That's pretty evident. And yet there are certain areas where we want change. Um, we, we couldn't handle the change with prices rising. Uh, and yet uh, there are still people making all kinds of money during this time, which oh, that's fine. You know, if, if that's what the free enterprise system is about, fine. Um, we could accept the change if prices dropped. When I talk about the economy, I loved what um, Will Rogers said. You can take uh, um, you can take a hundred uh, you know a hundred economists and lay them all end to end, 
and they'll still point in all different directions. <laughs> yeah. There was a great book um, that I was uh, uh, made to read, not at gunpoint, uh, back in the 80s. It was called Who Moved the Cheese? Mm -hmm. My boss made me read that. When I was done, I took it back to him, put it on his desk, and I said, I want you to understand something. I do not have a problem with somebody moving the cheese. I just want them to tell me where they moved it. That's all. That's all I'm asking. You know, if you're going to move it, just tell me where you moved it. Right. I know that. And folks, uh, cheese, the cheese is referencing. It's a metaphor. Um, Changes is, is just it's it's nuts. And, and I will tell you that when the pandemic uh, was declared and the country was shut down, I was cheering, thinking, finally, we're doing something different. Einstein's theory of insanity, right. doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Yes. Uh, going back to my example of shutting the airlines down for two weeks uh, when the influenza hits, and obviously right. it's going to have to be a global thing. But anyway, uh, I was thrilled because I knew that when we came out the other side, it was going to be different. Now, whether we liked it or not, that was a whole other issue, but it was going to be different. But the other part of it that, that, that kind of hit me was, wow the opportunities that are going to open up for people that we don't even know about yet are going to be incredible. I mean, and look at the, the people who stepped up, talk about evolution, who stepped up to help the healthcare providers who didn't have all that they needed early on because this thing just hit hard and fast. And they stepped up and they started making what they call PPE and, and all of that stuff. And, and I also noticed too, that there was, an abundance of food. Really, we don't have enough food in this world. I don't see that because there are restaurants that are stepping up. They're feeding people for free because obviously they don't want the food to go bad, but they're still doing it. I thought, wow, now this is the human spirit. You know, yeah, okay, it's during a pandemic. It's, you know, again, crisis management, but hey, we step up. Right. Um, what would you say would be maybe the top one, two, or three lessons that we have learned, can learn from this specific experience, if we will but learn it? Uh, no, I think that's a great question, and nobody's asked me that so far. So, you know, the first three things that came to mind, and this is one of the first one is what I told clients, you know, I think this is a time of discernment. This is a this I told them very early on, this is a time to pull back and really be discerning for for what you want in your life, what's working, what's not working, and, and basically use this time to tighten up, you know, tighten up your life. I think the second one is compassion. You know, this was a, a huge opportunity to learn compassion and a lot of people did and a lot of people didn't. Um, and that's unfortunate. And, and, you know, if I were to ask for another, you know, lesson that could have been learned, and I think some people did, it would be going back to altruism or, you know, social responsibility, which again, social responsibility is a slightly different thing, but you know, it's it's coming back together is really what this is about. And look what our country has done. It's, you know, it's really gone further apart, unfortunately. And again, I think it was a sign of the times already. But, but you know, if I were to think of the top three, it would be discernment, compassion, and altruism. But I think some people learned those things and some people didn't. Yeah. 
And those people who did learn it, obviously, they're making changes to not only their DNA, hopefully, but also to that uh, neural net, if you will, in the brain in terms of processing information, because it's like, you know, that that quote that you uh, that you uh, had earlier, you know, it's great. We got all the information in the world, but if you don't know how to use it, it's, it's like a hammer. If you've never seen a hammer before. I don't I don't know what to do with this thing, you know, well, and it's not only can you use it, but will you, but use will it? you exactly, exactly. Just like, will you use the promptings? Will you follow the promptings of that still small voice? It was something that I ended up writing down. I was in a personal growth program back in the uh, early 80s called LifeSpring. And um, and in one of the uh, one of the sessions, they gave us this long piece of white construction paper and a Sharpie, black Sharpie. They said, we want you to write down a statement and based upon what we had been talking about earlier. So I wrote down in cursive, I will listen to and then in all block letters, all caps, and follow the promptings of, I call it my friend. And I still have that somewhere in my archive somewhere. And, um, you know, it's just, it's really interesting. And, but it also brings up another point in terms of, you know, this information. And maybe, and this is, this is part of uh, the discernment that you are talking about. And, and it has to do with the the information that you choose to use mm -hmm. and and especially in this day and age based upon the source from where it came mm -hmm. i mean right. from some quarters if it came from the news media mm -hmm. don't trust it it's right. a, uh as abraham lincoln said uh you can't believe anything that you uh read on the internet <laughs> I love that. I love that line. I often wonder how many people get the disconnect of that phrase. Right. Um, and I think that's part of where that inner voice comes in. That's where that discernment comes in, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, and it's, um, and, and again, it's so complex because it has to do with, you know, going within. It has to do with when you go within, you know that you need to connect with others, but a lot of people don't go within to get that message. And, you know, if we really are 8.6 billion people on this planet and we're this disconnected, well, then we really are not heading in the right direction of evolution as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's, it's really interesting. And, you know, I, I think about people ask me, what do you think is going to happen in the next three to five years? And, and I think there's going to be more discourse, unfortunately. Um, because nothing big enough has happened to bring us together. And if a pandemic can't bring us together and be sustainably, you know, bringing us together, then I'm not really sure what will at this point. Well, I will say this, that obviously now they're, they're starting to acknowledge on a governmental level that there are other beings in the universe. And I am, I am putting this out publicly now that if you're listening, I'm ready to go. Take me. Okay. I have, I've pretty much had enough. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I tell people I've put my reservation in for the mothership, except that there's so much, of, so much of a backlog that uh, I think it's going to be a while. <laughs> it, yeah, I was, yeah. <laughs> and, and can you imagine what their TSA is like? Right. I mean, based upon the, the stories we've heard over the decades, 
of the probing? No, 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 no. Not gonna. Anyway, um, we can't escape. This is where we live. We don't live on separate planets. I've, I've often said this, that there are enough planets in the universe that each one of us could occupy. What will you, I'll use a reference here, a class M planet, okay? There are enough class M planets out there for each one of us. But the re, what's the reality? Eight, eight billion plus, we're all here together. What did I tell you? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. But then again, if it, it, it may tell you that, but if you're not listening and you don't do something about that, but then it doesn't matter, you know? Right. Right. And we're I still was, here to live our big, or our, 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 we're still here to big live our best lives one way or another. So one way or the other, yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember um, I had one of the most vivid. This was a few years, quite a few years back, back when I was living in Phoenix, my hometown, and I had one of the most vivid dreams. I could have sworn it was real. And we were in this factory, and I was with a good friend of mine who I was working with at the time, and he fell in, or did I push him into the machinery, and he was, you know, and I, when I woke, I was afraid that they were going to, somebody was going to find out, and I was like, did that really, I I don't know if that really happened or not, because it sure feels like it did. How, how valuable. How important and what role do our dreams play in our discernment? Well, I think our psyche and our soul work together at times uh, for our dream worlds, but you know, it's, I think it's different for everybody. And I say that on purpose because, you know, I think there's some people that are very connected that can use their dreams to their benefit. And then there's people that have, random sounding dreams and they're trying to figure out what the heck they are so you know i think there's a mixture of um usefulness but i do think that for for many people dreams can be very intuitive in how to either interpret their lives or some sort of message to help them uh, move through their lives Mm. i also want to ask you about psychology it is not a precise, and if I'm using the wrong word here, correct me, it is not a precise science, art, mm-hmm. um, because we're all individuals, and yes, we have these models, some of which you've created, but down through the decades and the centuries, we've had individuals who have come up with different models. Some people like them, some don't, like Freud or Jung or whoever else. I loved my psychology class. I did horribly great-wise in psychology, but I, little, I loved the class. It was really, it was very fascinating. But it's not a precise, it's not precise. Um, and and it, you're not looking, like in, in biological medicine, you're not looking to cure the, the, your client, if you will, are you? I mean, you because it's entirely up to them more than anything well, else. Well, and honestly, that's a that's a trick question for me because I, you know, I'm not a typical anything, and I do things differently, and I do my I I do integrate soul and spirituality into a lot of the psychotherapy I do. 
So is it curing? No. Is it healing and evolving? Yes. But I don't know any other therapist that uses the word evolve. So, um, you know, I, I even say this on my website that it's not enough for me to help a person heal. I want to help them evolve beyond where they started. Um, because, uh, and I don't mean started just at the time that they came in to me, it's evolved at the time that they hit whatever rock bottom, you know, whatever was going on. So, um, no, I, I don't think, uh, you know, what's interesting is having been a medical school professor, I also know that medicine is not a precise science. You would think it is, but it's really not. Um, and so, yes, there's more measurable um, aspects in a human body than there are in a psyche or a soul, um, but it's not as precise as people think. And so, um, you know, it's, you know, I love the field. I think it's about um, helping people work through and heal aspects of their human condition that have been shaken. Um, and I, I think that's why mental health is so uh, necessary and important right now to look at is that, again, there's a lot of shaking that's gone on in the last two years, let alone prior to this. So, you know, if there's anything about psychology, it's about healing the human condition. As far as I know, we are not letting go of the human condition anytime soon. <laughs> well, I, I, I would I would tend to agree with you there. This is uh, a conversation we're having here with Dr. Catherine Kelly, author of The Healer's Path. And we certainly hope that you will stay with us. Dr. Dr. Catherine T. Kelly uh, is my guest, and this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And we're talking about a lot of different things in relation to, uh, in relationship to our overall uh, mental as well as spiritual health, uh, and uh, that will have an impact on the physical and emotional as well. Uh, and um, hopefully we will come to a place, some of us, I'm going to say, because everybody can, has to make their own choices. Uh, but I'm hoping that some of us will come to that place where we realize and this is not the way that we want to live anymore. Uh, this is not the way we want to play. I, I said this about um, the initial, when the initial invasion took place in Ukraine. I said, I wish I had the wherewithal to get a plane ticket, fly to Moscow. I'd get out, go to the Kremlin, excuse me, soldiers, step aside. I'd go in, I'd grab that little nutball by the ears and say, I'm sorry, we don't play like this in the 21st century. This is not how we do things anymore and you my friend are on a permanent timeout you can just cool your heels in this little tiny room and we'll we'll send you to siberia a place that you 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 at least it's home it's close to home um i even shared that with one of my guests she says well when that happens you let me know i'll be going with you um <laughs> Because I keep thinking about when I was a kid growing up watching the Jetsons cartoons and thinking, oh, that is going to be so cool in the 21st century. And it's like, it's not that cool in the 21st century. I used to love looking at 2020, the year, thinking, oh, I'll be 60. And it was so easy for me to remember how old I was because, well, I was born in 1960 and it was every 10 years. And it was just, it was very easy. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm into patterns and numbers and stuff. And I was just really hoping for something, the flying cars and, and the apartment <laughs> buildings up on those big tall pillars like, like the uh, Space Needle and that kind of thing. And we're just, you know, yeah, the technology's great. Okay, fantastic. I could launch a rocket from my phone because I have 
that much power in my phone. Mm -hmm. But as a human being, how far have uh, how far have we really come? And some mm -hmm. even say that we're still at the back of the cave. Some say we haven't crossed the threshold out into the open air yet, you know, mm -hmm. and partly maybe because we keep taking one step forward and two steps back, mm -hmm. you know, and it's and there's there's a certain sadness to that. But it also I'm an optimistic kind of guy. I don't know about you if you're optimistic in the sense that. Maybe you maybe what you hold on to that vision, if you will, of hope that somewhere along the way we'll figure it out. It'll it'll finally click for the majority of us and say, OK, we're moving on to the next level. We're walking up another rung on the ladder uh, of, of, of our own spiritual evolution. Sure. Well, and so, uh, boy, I could say all kinds of things about everything you just said. Um, you know, I, when it comes to really wondering why certain people have been put in power, and, and I know there's been a lot of question about that in the last several years, both in our own country and in other countries. You know, I try to help people understand that that those who are certain incidences or certain situations, certain people in power are not there for people who are already awake and moving forward. It's there to help wake others up. Mm. Because at some point we don't change unless we're tired enough of ourselves or our situations. And so the thing is, we had to have certain situations happening to go, gosh, why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think about lots of different examples of what happened in our previous presidency that helped people go, wait, wait a minute, why, why am I doing this? Why did I support this? Why? And so there was some change and some awakening and some shifting. And we're seeing that really all over the news right now as we watch this January 6th, you know, hearing going on. Yeah. Um, so I constantly, and I do believe this deep down every cell of my body that, you know, really at certain situations are not here for those who are already awake, even though it's very aggravating for those of us who are very conscious. So it, it is part of the conscious evolution process. Um, and it's a matter of waiting it out to hope that enough people awaken so that the altruism can, can come back, the compassion can come back, all of that. And again, we have to do the best we can. I'm, I'm an eternal Pollyanna too. I mean, I, I, I'm an optimist and um, and so when at first, when I would say that to people, when people were very distraught with who was in office and what's happening in the world, I would, I would consistently say, this is not happening for those who are already awake. This is happening to build compassion, to wake people up, to help them realize that, again, these are ancient old ways in, that need to be outgrown and we still have to flush out a whole lot of it. So. You know, it's it's like a sieve. You have to keep um, filtering out until it finally, till the water comes comes clean per per you know per se. But it's gonna be a while. Yeah, I like to consider myself a man who uh, looks at things with a glass half full. My question is, what's it full of? That's the big. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And who is there a leak? <laughs> and is there a leak somewhere? Exactly, exactly. Um, but no, I'm 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 optimistic from that standpoint. It's, it's the reason I do these programs because I honestly do believe that we 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 can. The question is, will we make the the decisions, the choices, make those choices? But on an individual basis, we're not talking about uh, a city, state, county, nation. Mm -hmm. 
that is going to go the way it's going to go, and I have no control over that. Mm-hmm. What I have control over are the decisions that I make that affect me mm-hmm. and, as you referred to, the network, the people around me. And I'm thankful that I've got some kind, a similar kind of network uh, right. around me that I can turn to when, when things are, are challenging and so forth. And, and I'm not sure, because even I get to that point where I'm going, oh my God, I just want to get off. Just let me stop the world. I'm getting off. Right. Because I, I, I got, I have, I, I can't keep all of these plates spinning, you know, there are too many of them. And, and in a, you know, hour, um, you know, and this is the thing, I love doing these radio shows. And in an hour, I guess we've been on an hour and 40 or a, bit, a little over an hour. Mm-hmm. And you, we can't answer the questions of the world. But my, my intention is to plant enough seeds or create enough ripples that people keep thinking as they move forward. So, you know, even one individual is not going to make all the difference in the world. <laughs> no, that's in the world. But uh, even though I say I want to change the world for the better for everyone, it has to start with me. And yeah. as, as one person that, at a time, one that's person funny. at a time. Exactly. And I love the, the, the saying about how you can't change other people. And I found out that's a lie. You can't. <laughs> but your intent can't be by virtue of changing yourself, that you are intentionally trying to change other people. Right. It just happens. Mm-hmm. It's a process that just happens. So as we uh, wake up, as, as the phrase goes, and we raise our consciousness and our understanding, and we keep listening to that still small voice, uh, then people who uh, resonate with it, who connect with it, they'll want to hang around. And those people who it doesn't resonate with, they'll, bye-bye, thank you for coming in, and we'll see you around. Right. You know, but that's their choice, you know, and people come in and out of our lives all the time. So it's 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 really very interesting. Dr. Catherine Kelly is my guest and you are listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we're talking about the healer's path to post-COVID recovery. Yes, folks, I have my copy right here. And uh, it is a rest- it's a restorative journey for um, more than just healthcare workers, but for healthcare workers as well. And uh, we want to thank you so much for giving us this time on the program to talk about Absolutely. those things. Uh, we've There's still so much more that we could discuss, and we'll maybe save that for another time. Uh, okay. But we uh, certainly hope that um, we've, as you say, we've planted some seeds. And, and that's really what this is all about. And, you know, it is the, you know, it's a healer's path and you're going to find all kinds of things on that path that you're supposed to pick up and look at and pick, pick from it what, um, what works for you. And, you know, this is an evolutionary process as far as I'm concerned. Well, um, I would like to ask you three final questions. I ask all of my guests. Uh, and I will ask those questions in a moment. Uh, you may have answered them to some degree during the program, but I'd like to ask them directly. But before I do, I need to address you, the listener and the viewer, and thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. And there's also a Wednesday edition. It's our special 
edition of Tell Me Your Story. The programs are also uh, podcasted on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. And we are on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. And I hope you will also subscribe because when you subscribe, you'll be notified every time a new interview is posted. And that's the only reason I would like you to subscribe. Uh, I'm not looking at increasing my numbers. I, that That is in spite of the fact that we're almost at 85,000 listens in the last four and a half years, I am just eternally grateful for the number. Uh, I, I say this every time. I don't know what that number means. All I know other than the fact that people are listening and that's the whole point. So if you can subscribe, do so. And um, you will know when the next, uh, the next program is posted on any of those uh, platforms. We also ask that uh, if this, these programs resonate with you, you would like to support us financially, we have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. And as I mentioned earlier in the program, we really would hope that you would participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision where we ask you to go within and listen to and follow the promptings of that still small voice. And with that, we now ask uh, our guest the three final questions. And the first of them is, who is Catherine T. Kelly? <laughs> I'm an evolving soul. <laughs> I don't have it figured out yet either. So, um, you know, I, boy, that's a great question. I'm, I, I basically say I am a vehicle to helping other people evolve. And I do that through figuring out how to do it myself. <laughs> what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? I, that one's very easy to answer. There's nothing better than me watching another soul evolve. And so the, the, the beauty of this is I get to do it every day. And so I'm already accomplishing it. And it's just a matter of continuing that process. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Exactly what I just said. <laughs> it's, you know, I just really think I'm here to help people understand and recognize their souls, that essence of who they are and help them evolve and, and get those words back into their vocabulary. Well, uh, Catherine T. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us and sharing with us about the healer's path. We encourage you folks to go to drcatherinetkelly.com. We will be linked to that website as well, so that uh, as you're listening to these programs, these podcasts or videocasts, you can also uh, be looking at uh, uh, the work that she is doing. Maybe get yourself a copy of the book as well. And again, we thank you, uh, Catherine, for joining us. It was great. Great conversation. Thank you. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I'm listening.